Have you ever considered the uh, role of luck in your life? You ever considered that if any of the big events of your life or many of the smaller events of your life had been different, that you would be different as well? That had you not met that guy, had you not had that first career opportunity that led to other career opportunities, not gone to that university, not been born in the United States, had been created male rather than female at the very split second that the biological sex had been determined, might have made all the difference. I was speaking with this week with members of our congregation whom I've known for 25 years. They were on the rabbinic search committee that led me to my first position as a rabbi. The senior rabbi couldn't attend the interview because he was in Israel with a synagogue group, not having known in advance that that synagogue would be in a search process at that time. And in his absence, he organized a group of lay leaders to conduct the interviews at the rabbinical seminary where the graduating class was conducting the interviews. And they promised this lay group, of which our members were part of them, they promised that they would bring before the senior rabbi, when he returned from Israel, a worthy candidate. So when reminiscing this week, I mentioned to my friends, you know, in 1989, when I was ordained, your synagogue was the only option for me. For family reasons, my wife and I couldn't leave New York, and this was the one and only synagogue in the entire city that had an opening for a, an assistant rabbi. If it wasn't for you, I said, I might still be unemployed. <laughs> Who knows if I ever would have gotten a job, I could still be living in a ditch somewhere or under the 59th Street Bridge. Thousands of chance occurrences led me to here. It's so mysterious and so unpredictable and so humbling. That's what the Parsha of the week is about. Joseph finally reconciles with his brothers. He has become the second most powerful person in the most powerful empire that the world had ever seen. And none of that would have happened had his brothers not sold him into slavery. First, they wanted to kill him. Eventually, they settled on, well, let's just get rid of him. Had he not been sold into slavery, he never would have ended up on the viceroy's throne in Egypt. He didn't choose this path. This path chose him. He didn't ride events. Events rode him. Decades later, when he sees his brothers again, he seems amazed at how all this came about. He struggles to find a satisfying and satisfactory explanation. He realizes in the most profound way that had it not been for his brothers, he wouldn't be in Egypt in the first place. It is only because of their malignant, malevolent, Malice 
that he became the man that his brothers see sitting on the throne of Egypt. And so at that moment that Joseph reveals his true identity to his brothers, he says to them these stunning words among the most glorious, meaningful, and baffling passages in all of religion and in all of human literature. He says to them, Lo atem shalachtem oti hena ki im ha-Elohim. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. What? Nothing about God seemed to motivate Joseph's brothers. At first they wanted to kill him, throwing him into a pit. Then they compromised on selling him into slavery through a traveling caravan going down to Egypt. They soaked his technicolor dream coat in blood and showed it to their father as evidence of Joseph's death. And then they simply went on with their lives, finally rid of this spoiled, egomaniacal, pretty boy, bratty baby brother. What's divine about this? But Joseph insists. Now I know why I am here. God sent me here. I was supposed to be here. It was preordained. How could it not be? The prospect of a Hebrew slave rising to be one of the most powerful men in the history of the world is impossible. It's typical of deep and reflective thinkers. We want to see patterns, reasons, intent, direction in our lives. We shudder at the alternative that all is meaningless. As Macbeth laments, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. In insisting that it was God who brought him down to Egypt, Joseph is articulating a deeply religious and deeply Jewish idea. That my life is not all sound and fury signifying nothing. That history has a direction. And in some way, my life is bound up in that. He's expressing radical amazement and awe. How is this even possible? My very existence is a mathematical impossibility, let alone the existence of the universe. The odds of everything happening in just such a way as to produce me and the odds of everything that has occurred in my life unfolding in just this way so as to put me on the throne of Egypt 
The odds of that are infinitesimal. That's why reflective people, sensitive and deep thinkers, turn to faith. It wasn't you who sent me here. It can't be. But God, it must be some part of a higher plan. Now, Joseph hadn't mentioned God before in all his years of Egypt. Maybe understandably, because he needed to focus on himself just to survive. But something is triggered in him when he sees his brothers. And he says to himself something like, how could this even be? I should be living under the 59th Street Bridge. I must be sort of part of some divine plan, some preordination, some meaning that is part of a larger meaning. That is the thought process of a religious person. But there is a secular parallel. When you speak of luck, when you speak of fortune's wheel turning your way, when you struggle to find a cogent, systematic explanation to the infinite varieties of possibilities, it's a, an attempt to step out of Macbeth's mindset that life is just sound and fury that signifies nothing. Even when you say something like, it's bashert, the younger people don't say that nowadays. But some of you people of a certain generation, you say that, right? Basher. It's basher. Meaning something like it was meant to be, right? Basher. It was meant to be. What you really mean by this is that there is something inexplicable here that is awesome and mysterious. The more brilliant you are, the more you learn about cosmology, astrology, biology, physiology, neurology, psychology, sociology, theology, the deeper you drink from the wellsprings of human knowledge, it may not necessarily lead you to God, but it often leads to radical amazement and a realization of our stunning smallness and ignorance. There is a black hole in the cosmos of our knowledge. We hardly know anything. Existence is so mysterious. We search for patterns to explain these mysteries, and we use poetry, imagination, and storytelling to describe them. Take history, for example. We often speak about the march of history. We ascribe a direction to history, at least to the extent that if we study the past, we may be able better to shape the future. But since history involves infinite variety 
We could never truly know what happened, let alone why it happened. Historical causality is impossible to fully unravel. It is comprised of too many elements. Therefore, history is not really about what happened. History is about the philosophy of what happened. As one historian said about another, he's a truly great historian. He has enriched his subject with a new uncertainty. Have you ever stopped to think how different America would be were George Washington, John Adams, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, and Alexander Hamilton not been born? Or if the many thousands of things that could have changed their lives actually occurred? Next weekend, we commemorate Martin Luther King Day. He would often tell the story about how early in his career he was stabbed in the heart. He said that x-rays revealed that the tip of the blade was on the edge of his aorta. The doctors told him that had he sneezed, he would have died. One sneeze, and American history would have looked entirely different. But even for those of us who are not religious, the notion that monumental historical events are determined by luck is profoundly shocking and unsettling. So we search for lessons and patterns. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, said George Santayana. But we can never know the past well enough to forget it. And even if we did know it well enough, the past can never be repeated. And therefore, we cannot predict the future. There are too many variables. Unlike a chemistry equation where, if all of the variables are identical, the identical result will occur each and every time. Every human embryo produces something that has never before existed and will never be repeated. Joseph could not unravel what forces brought him to the throne of Egypt. He lived through them, but he couldn't pinpoint them. He only sensed a deep connection between events that was mystical, even magical. He described this feeling as God and destiny. Jewish tradition describes a similar process with Joseph's father, Jacob. The rabbis asked, how did Jacob react when he embraced his beloved son, Joseph, holding him for the first time in 22 years? What did the old man do? Anybody remember? The tradition states that Jacob recited the Shema, the most eloquent expression in Jewish liturgy of the hope that there is a guiding force that works its way through the universe and touches me personally. Given that both religious and secular people look for patterns in history and meaning in events to justify or at least explain our existence, it seems to me that every Jew 
whatever they believe, could recite the Shema at life's moments of mystery, amazement, awe, and gratitude. The religious Jew could say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. The agnostic Jew could say, Shema Yisrael, I don't know Eloheinu, I don't know. The atheist Jew could say, Shema Yisrael, I deny Eloheinu, I deny Echad. But like Jacob, embracing his now living dead son, sensing those inexpressible feelings of awe, amazement, gratitude, humility, and relief, you too might try reciting the Shema in any version that makes sense to you to express those same inexpressible feelings. After all, if I really think about it, but for the grace of God, I might still be under the 59th Street Bridge. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>